tell them here and let them be. Well, I got something deep inside of me. I can't hide it anymore. It needs to be so free. There's no time to let this tale get old. No, no, no. It's the best. Hello and welcome to the show. My guest today is a writer and producer. Let's welcome Carlito Rodriguez. Hey, hey, hey. What's up, brother? Hey, so... Uh, Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is a much anticipated uh, meeting between Carlito and I on the show. Uh, so I wanted to start before we hear your best story. You've never told with a story about uh, you... Uh, sorry, a story about me and your wife. That you've never heard before. <laughs> okay, that's a yeah. That's the makings of a scene. Yeah, I'm not. That's I'm a not Tarantino scene right there. I want to <laughs> tell you a story about me and your wife. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not ready to fight, but you know things <laughs> may happen. Uh, so, anyways, uh, here's the story. Uh, it was a couple years ago. Uh, I hadn't seen your wife Leah, past guest on the show, uh, in like a couple months. So we got together to have like lunch or something right and so i ask her hey what's up how you doing what you know that kind of thing and then she's like oh i'm 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 seeing someone i've been seeing someone for a few months which is like kind of the amount of time i hadn't seen her which kind of <laughs> explains why like she hadn't been around right and so i was <laughs> naturally i was like oh cool like tell me tell me about this person and then she's like uh you know he's a writer and then i <laughs> i immediately kind of got protective i'm like Oh, he's a writer. Oh, okay. He's trying to, is he trying to like get on your coattails? Like, cause Leah had started to have some success and I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. He's trying. Okay. Who's this guy? Like, who's this, you know, who's this, uh, clown or whatever. Right. <laughs> I'm exposed. Yeah. And then she's like, no, no. She's like, oh, he's a, you know, he's a writer, drama writer. Uh, he just got off this uh, show, the leftovers. And I was like, oh, that's great. Yeah. And then I, and then I like my guard was kind of. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So, but then I still was like a bit protective because I'm like, eh, who's this guy? Right, right. And then, you know, she's like, and then she was like, I think this the timing of it. She was like, I, either you were or had just started working on Empire. Right. And like nobody knew that Empire would become like the Empire that right. we know now. Right. Uh, so then it was like, oh, that's cool. Uh, and and th and that's how um, it gets to this point because she was explaining what Empire was right it's like based on like you know the record industry and specifically hip-hop and then mm -hmm. she said oh yeah carlito uh you know has a <clears throat> background in music journalism and i'm like oh, okay that's cool and then she was like uh he was a former editor of the source <laughs> yeah and, and then uh i basically lost it like like i <laughs> I, I, I basically fangirled out Oh, man. And I was like, the source, like the source. And she's, yeah. And I'm like, I like, I think I like, yeah, I fangirled out in front of Leah, like <laughs> as if like you were the greatest thing that has ever happened to her, which you are. But oh, I, you, but man. at the time, obviously, I was like, I didn't even know who you were. And I was like, well, you basically got to marry this guy now. If, if you, he's <laughs> we owe it to you. Thanks for, thanks for convincing her, man. Uh, so that that's kind of my story uh, about that. But kind of a quick question before you launch into your own story related to that is, yes. um, you know, 
like any hip hop fan, I grew up in the suburbs and, uh, <laughs> as any purchaser of hip hop. Right. And so right, for right. me, I never knew anyone part of hip hop. Like it's always mm -hmm. like a distant thing to me. And mm -hmm. the singer, the artists, rappers, a part of that, all, that world were just kind of always from afar right. to me. Like, and in a way they were kind of like, like characters on a show. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't real to me, but mm -hmm. I liked it. Mm -hmm. Um, but for someone who was in it, and actually, you actually know a lot of the people that have become stars, and you've seen like this whole evolution. Like, I guess, how do you feel hip hop is now, given that it's so mainstream and it dictates everything now? I think, as far as pop culture, like, like, because you've seen it when it wasn't, like when it was like right. counterculture. Like, right. how do you feel about it, like, now? I guess. Um, I guess the. Uh it wouldn't be <clears throat> it wouldn't be a simple answer cuz you pass me the mic and you're going to get 100 bars man i can go i can talk leo <laughs> leo will tell you that <laughs> but if i distill it if i distill how i feel um i would have to come up with you know a little bit mixed ultimately i'm fine with it right but i have mixed feelings because i am old enough to remember and have been a part of hip hop when it was you know definitely counterculture but like so underground that you know we considered you know groups like Run DMC when they did Walk This Way like we considered those kind of breakout moments I'm going back to the 80s now we we would consider those breakout moments I mean I was a kid but they still felt to us like you know the fact that that kind of stuff did go mainstream yeah like anomalies like what like i had when i was younger i had no idea that it was going to become mainstream i knew it was going to be forever and i would get into like debates and arguments with other friends peers my age who um you know weren't weren't so locked into hip-hop as me and a and a you know some of our other friends were you know it was music they listened to but they, it wasn't like a cultural thing for them it wasn't a movement for them right that would say oh it's gonna fade away and i'd be like you gotta fucking mind it's going to be here forever i just didn't think that forever also meant it's gonna you know one day the president of the united states is going to say jay-z is my favorite mc that the level that it has attained still blows my mind it's a nice feeling to go oh shit um but you know it's pros and cons with it man because um i don't want to be the old dude who's like get off my lawn youngsters right um but i do feel that a you know, certain things do get lost along the way. Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just evolves. It just becomes different, man. You know. Yeah. I try yeah. to I try to vibe with it. I try to roll with it, man. I really don't want to be the old dude who's like, <laughs> ah, you know, this isn't hip hop. This isn't real hip hop. Because in the, when I was in my twenties, at the source in the nineties, they were dudes that were older than us. You know, the OG OG pioneer dudes who would you know be like, that shit ain't real hip hop. It ain't whatever, dude. Just Take a breath, calm down. It'll all be fine. It'll right. all work itself out. You know, people give, like, for example, just real quick, people give, like, trap a bad rap because yeah. you name it, a million reasons. But when you dig down deep, man, there's there's a there's a more than a handful of those young dudes and young women that can rap, that can ride a beat and will say some shit. And granted, it all kind of tends to float in the same kind of space of, you know, the trap. You know, yeah. get my money, flip the flip the work, and you know, get mods. 
and fuck and do drugs and party and excess and all that good shit. But that to me is just a reflection of you. There ain't nothing else happening, so they rap about that, right? Right. But the bottom line is they can MC their ass off. And to me, that's the ultimate thing for me. That's ultimately what I what I what I kind of move towards. Um, you know, I'm older now, so I do kind of raise an eyebrow every now and then when it's just a little bit too much. Um, I would just say like pathology when the rhymes are just straight up just negative. So I do raise an eyebrow, but if they're bringing it, man, I still got to tip my hat and go, damn, he's nice. Yeah. Or she's nice. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, it's like you, you saw this thing evolve into what it is. Yeah. It's kind of interesting from the insider's perspective. It's been Um, a ride, man. It's been a ride. So I don't know if that intro is going to lead into the story as I have no idea what you're going to tell, but if it does, that's pretty good planning on my part. (laughs) <laughs> no, it's perfect, man. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a nice, uh, nice handoff. It's a bounce pass, and here's why. When Leah first mentioned it, hey, David wants you to, um, you know, come on, uh, greatest story I never told. My my first answer was, man, I've been running my mouth for so long about my life and the things that I've done and seen and been through, whatever. I don't know what story I can tell that people haven't heard, right? Right. The the met Damon Lindelof at a Starbucks and three months later I'm working on the leftovers or I was in prison and blah 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 all this other shit. So then it dawned on me, okay, so you know, I don't talk much about what led me to writing. Okay? So oh. story that I rarely tell. Yeah. No, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the theme of the podcast. The greatest story I never told. And here it is. So it was the summer of 95. Okay. And I'm out of prison a couple of months, a few months. I'm, uh, I'm back in New York. And um, I'm hanging out with a friend of mine, an OG, well-respected um, graffiti artist named Tox. Toxic, TDS, right? Tori. Okay. Um, that's my dude, right? And uh, we knew of each other. While I was in prison, we didn't know each other quite yet. I think we might have met once or twice at like a TC5 party. Oh, so I used to write graffiti. I used to write graph, right? I was a graffiti artist, started in New York and, you know, touched base in Miami for a couple of years when I lived there after my mom's was killed. Then I was in Philly for a little bit, bombed the shit out of Philly, started my own little crew over there called ETC. Every tag counts. That was like like blessed upon me by uh, Juice, TC5. And uh, it's a little joke that he and Doe's TC5 used to have about, you know, you just cop a tag anywhere and it counts. So every tag counts. Anyway, so I'm out of prison and um, I'm, I'm back in New York, back in the Bronx, and I'm hanging out with my man Tox one day. And um, actually, I skipped the part. Okay. I'm in New York and I'm, and I'm, going, I'm, in, I'm back in college. Okay. Okay. I'm back in college. I um I wanted to relearn how to learn. So when I got out of prison, I said to myself, I feel like I forgot how to learn. So I want to go to college, not necessarily to get a degree that's going to lead me to a job. I just feel like I need to learn how to learn again, right? So I enrolled at Lehman College in the Bronx, and my major was English. Just always been attracted to stories and writing and, and whatever would have you since I was a little kid. Um I'm seeing, drawing my own comic books, writing my own comic books. It was always storytelling for me. 
Before I went to prison, me and a couple friends of mine started this comic strip that ran in the source while I was in prison, and it was called The View from the Underground. So I would contribute through letters, like here's my ideas for a couple of storylines. But it's really credit goes to them because they kept it going while I was away. So I'm out. I'm going to Lehman College, and I had a professor named uh, Paris Condola. Leo Parascondola. I want to say he's originally from Brooklyn, working class guy. He was a bus driver for a while, but he became a professor while he was going to grad school. Anyway, in English class, he used to make us keep a journal. It was like an anything journal. He was like, treat it as a diary, treat it as a literary journal, whatever you want. Okay. And what I'm going to do is when you write in it, I'll just respond to you in the margins. I'm not going to grade it. Okay. So one day I write the story in there about, uh, I forgot what the prompt was. I think it was like, why did you decide to go to school, right? And for whatever reason, I wrote the story. I never put it down on paper before, but I wrote the story of the the night my mom was killed, oh. right? My mom was killed in a car crash when I was 13, right before I finished uh, junior high school uh, up in the Bronx. Anyway, I wrote that story, right? And I, it's it basically, I just, I just, for no reason at all, I kind of just went according to like sensory. What was I thinking? What was I seeing? What was I smelling? The first thought that came to mind was hospitals always had that smell. So I told this story and um, wrote it in my wrote it in my my uh, journal. And over the weekend, you know, I guess he read it, taps me on the shoulder on a Friday and says to me, <clears throat> "Hey, listen, uh, let me let me talk to you real quick." Yeah, sure. What's up, Professor? Hey, uh, do you consider yourself a writer? And I said, uh, I mean, no, no, not really. Because up until that time, yeah, I had believed that a writer was like this big, lofty, important title, like a capital W, like a Superman logo right. that you put on your chest, like I'm a writer, and you got to declare that shit. And it's like, yo, right? So real talk. I never thought that way because I was like, who the fuck am I? Like, how dare you, dude, little nigga from the fucking Bronx? Like, you ain't knock it off, right? So I didn't think that way. So he says to me, do you consider yourself a writer? And I said, uh, nah, man, not really. And he says, well, I think you should. I think from this moment on, mm. you should consider yourself a writer. And I go, oh, okay. All right, well, cool, thanks. But that rang my bell, man. So I'm... You know, I walk home that afternoon and I'm like, damn, that's kind of heavy. That's kind of, you know, and I was starting to come face to face with this idea that I had been harboring since prison. One day in prison, I was hanging out with an older gentleman named uh, Amin, brother Amin from Washington, D.C., good brother. And uh, he's got this magazine called Writer's Digest. And I go, what's that? This is magazine, man. I'm, I'm going to be here for 30 years, man. I figure I want to write something. And I go, oh, wow. Can I check it out, man? Let me just check it out. He goes, yeah, 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 read it. And I was hooked on that joint. Hmm. So that kind of became like my pre-college education. Yeah. And I always harbored, since, since opening up that magazine, this little secret, quiet desire of like, damn, I want to write, man. I want to tell some stories. You know, I want to I do this. But just always afraid to like say it out loud. So there I am. The professor says to me, you should consider yourself a writer from this day forward. And I go, okay, cool. Yeah, sure, man. Thanks. You know, you take it with a grain of salt, right? A few hours later, I'm hanging out with my boy Tox. He comes to pick me up. Yo, let's go hang out, whatever. He takes me to a party in the Lower East Side, the LES, right? And this is a party 
I had never been to this kind of party before, you know, just because of my background, right? I'm used to like throwdowns, wild shit. But he takes me to this party. It was in some basement of a building in the Lower East Side where, I don't know if you're familiar, but there's a lot of buildings in New York that have humongous basements. And obviously it runs the whole, and sometimes they just convert it into like an apartment. So I guess it was the super's place, whatever. Okay. But it was a bunch of different rooms. And in every room, pockets of people were just having dope conversations about all kinds of arts and letters and ideas and politics and music and culture. It was just dope. And the music is bumping and people are smoking weed. I don't smoke, but you know, it's smoked out and they're drinking. It was just a nice ass vibe. Like it was, the energy was 100%. There's going to be no drama in here because people are just here to trade ideas, right? Mm. And one of those little spaces, I meet this older gentleman named Steve, and he was blind, right? His name was Steve Cannon. And okay. it turns out Steve Cannon was a very well-known writer, poet, um, part of the, you know, part of that kind of like literary movement in the 60s that was a little more counterculture, you know, kind of like post-Harlem Renaissance, more like New York City, just energy and flow. And he's okay. hanging out with Gil Scott Heron and Last Poets and these dudes. And we just get into a dope conversation about hip-hop. And, you know, he's, he's an older guy already. And I'm talking about hip-hop and how I view it as, like, this kind of surrogate father for those of us who, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm, I'm espousing big, half-baked ideas that I thought I, made me sound smart. Okay. But we're kicking it and chopping it up. And it was a great time, you know, in this blind gentleman. Night is over with, you know, trading pounds, half hugs, you know, all right, y'all, you know, great meeting or whatever. And he comes up to me, he goes, hey, 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 young brother, I forgot to ask you, man, how long you been a writer? How long you been writing? Huh. And I said, uh, I'm, I'm not a writer, man. And he goes, oh, man, you sound like one. Taps me on the shoulder. He was like, I don't know, man, I think you should write. And this is the same day that this professor said to me, I think from this moment on, you should consider yourself a writer. So I went home on the subway that day, like with batteries in my back, dude. At that point, I was like, oh, shit. Okay, maybe there's something here. And that was it, man. I never looked back. That was it. I made my decision. All right. And, uh, you know, cut to maybe a week or two later, I said to a friend of mine, Riggs Morales, he was interning at the source. Hey, man. Can you plug me into uh, the music editor over there? Some cat named Selwyn, the vocabulist, Heinz. I said, I, I like his writing, man, and I know hip-hop. I need to make some extra bread. Maybe you could plug me in. And he did. And the rest is uh, the rest is history. That's another story that I've told a thousand times. <coughs> wow. But, but yeah, man. Yeah, and like... Not a lot of people know that, man. You those, two, those two gentlemen that day, that was yeah. just a little bit too... There's no such thing as coincidence to me. The... Um... <clears throat> Yeah, I became the editor, and then now, not to go into your bio now, but, I mean, you can't stop writing. People, I can't. Which is great. I can't stop, man. I, um, you know, this this life, right? Yeah. Especially now in the TV game, when I jumped over from publishing into TV and really wanting to write drama and what have you, um, hasn't been straight uphill, right? It's been peaks oh, and valleys. Yeah. It's really difficult, and... Uh, there have been there had been some very frustrating times financially just just emotionally frustrating times and anytime i thought about like fuck this i didn't even check my language am i good to curse and everything yeah we don't have sponsors okay beautiful yeah. say whatever so, you want well yeah. not beautiful but okay I'll, I'll, I'll keep it 100 then so i'd be like <laughs> fuck this man i'm done i'm done i feel like fucking writing doesn't love me as much as ah. 
And that shit lasts like 30 seconds because when I try to imagine my life without writing, yeah. without anything like creative storytelling, yeah. I get I get, uh, I get get dangerously close to panic attacks, man. Oh, man. <laughs> Straight up. I have to write. You know what I think is kind of interesting about you sharing that is um, how like different art immigrant experiences are but they're in the but they're also kind of the same in a way because like i didn't i grew up in orange county california i didn't grow up where you did in new york i didn't Mm -hmm. have the experiences you described with prison and and that kind of thing but i think like at a certain socioeconomic level Mm -hmm. you as a child can't can't necessarily aspire to a certain position like a writer Mm -hmm. because it doesn't doesn't click like it doesn't click people are like what you need right. to be a practical position like a firefighter doctor a lawyer yep. uh work, like something where you could physically like a uniform job right where you can actually mm-hmm. see the person in oh, a yeah. uniform getting a paycheck so oh, if yeah. you do something if you think of something more like artistic or something it it seems like it's not even possible it seems like it's not possible not yeah. practical you know um i was lucky i'm not gonna lie i was blessed with uh my parents even though they separated they kind of they maintained their sense of creativity my mother was a seamstress and she 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 could sew without a pattern like she could just whip up some stuff she used to make little wow. <laughs> little costumes for my action figures and my dad was a carpenter but my dad would make his own congas my dad's cuban yeah. my mother was dominican but my father would like make his own congas you know he get the wood and cut it sand it down you know and get the leather and next thing you know doop, doop, yeah and so music and art were always a part of my life and i'm and i'm and i'm blessed in that regard but i remember watching hill street blues as a little ass kid begging my mother hey can i stay up to watch this show it's it's so different i'm going way way back your listeners there was this thing there was only three (laughs) networks and there was this awesome show called hill street blues that changed the game there would be no insert your favorite drama here without hill street blues i would debate that with anybody anyway and so that was the first time that I saw something on TV that made me go, I had no idea that there's such a thing as a screenwriter, director, and any yeah, of that. Same. But that was the first one that made me go, yo, how do I, like, that just feels like, how do I, I, want, I don't know what that is, but I want to do something like that. Believe it or not, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of, like, the kind of heavier storylines that I used to love in Marvel Comics. Oh, okay. Like, Peter Parker's, like, emotional, like, ride the roller coaster he was he was going through was always just as exciting to me as fighting Dr. Octopus. Yeah. And forget about it. Jean Grey and Dark Phoenix and that saga, that's the first comic book I ever read where she died where I literally was like crying. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um I yeah, I mean I, I mean just to kinda touch on what something you said about you know, this is kind of like the story of like yeah, why or what sparked you to become a writer or like mm-hmm. really push it, you know, because you didn't really grow up with an environment that fostered the belief that you could do it, right? Mm-hmm. I found it interesting that you kind of, you know, you did street art and you had graffiti group and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And there is, like, you didn't, you kind of did that without fear, right? There's like a legal fear, right? You get caught, that kind of thing. You know what? But then it's, there's it's, a fear of write, you writing on a page, right? It's like, I know, it's, it's weird, like, right? Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, it's actually the other way around. I didn't fear... You know, you got to duck the cops. You evade the cops. The the fear, the concern was you go down the wrong layup or the wrong tunnel or the wrong yard and uh, you get your ass kicked, if not killed. You just run into the wrong crew. 
You know, I'm not a, I don't romanticize that shit. Yeah. Man. You know, I was running through those train tunnels at 12, 13 years old, and that was just dumb. That made no sense. I would, I would choke right. my son out if I heard he was 12, 13 <laughs> running through some train yard. It's insane. So there was a fearlessness there. You're right. And then when it came time to like telling stories, that was a whole nother like thing. In fact, when I first started like seriously writing drama, yeah, my scenes would lack conflict. I would I would make them tense, but they would lack conflict until I realized one day that I'll spare you the war stories, but I've been through so much shit, so much drama, yeah, that I avoided it on the page. Like oh. I'd be like, why oh. why should they fight? Fighting, somebody's gonna have to get shot. That's not what I want to write. So they'd just be tense, and people would be like, yeah, I just wish that they would. Yeah. So oh, I, had, I, had, I had to learn how to turn that off. Like, nah, let them get in there. Let them scrap. Let them make it, make, it, make it fill it up with conflict. That's <laughs> really, it's interesting how, like, on the flip side, I tend to not have a problem putting in conflict because <laughs> I don't have that much conflict <laughs> growing up. Or like, no, I, my, you, I mean, you know we all do in our own ways, though, you know? Sure. It's not, it's not always like that surface level that you can see it where things automatically going to get violent. And that's something else that I had to learn. True. You know, that not every not every situation has to turn violent. You know what I mean? That's you true. can disagree and you can, you know. And it's not like, you know, it's not like the stereotypes that we see in movies and film about the so-called hood. You know, they're stereotypes for a reason. Some of that shit exists, but it's not like every single day somebody was getting laid out. It's not like that. You talk shit with your friends and it feels tense to an outsider like, "Oh my god, are they going to scrap?" No. This is just, we just talk shit to each other. And then somebody flips a switch and it's, oh, yo, let's go run some ball. Or let's go, you know, go half with me on this sandwich, man. No, I mean, I know, I know, like, yeah, like, historically, uh, like, you know, you, you and I have written stories about people of color. And, and like that, there's like that notion of like, it has to have all this like crazy drama or like the what your culture is known for, you have to put that in when like in reality, when you live it, you're like, you know, there's days where that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Or you don't think about that, those kinds of issues at all. Absolutely. Or you think about Taylor Swift or whatever. Mm-hmm. And people are like, why would you think about her? You know, like it's like, absolutely you, right. we all have these like, absolutely right. Basically bland mm-hmm. moments, but there's definitely some conflict that can be had there too. Oh, yeah. No question. Well, you brought up a good point because you said it's, you just said it's what your culture is known for. And I think it's important we examine, well, why is my or his or her culture, or their culture known for this? How did it get to be known? Is that factual? Yeah. Is that accurate? Is that historical? Is it empirical? Or is it just, you know, somebody shares an anecdote and cut to somebody doesn't know how to interpret the nuances of it, catches fire, and we're left with a fucking trope. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, I wanted to ask a couple kind of final questions. Um, so do you uh, do you think about the moment you became a writer when you're like stuck writing or you're like in like a, a valley with your career where you're like, I mean, I'm just curious, like, do you ever like reference the story you just told or is it kind of like? No, to be perfectly honest with you, I hadn't thought about that in a long time because, you know, again, I I, I have a tendency Okay, real talk. Except for my mom's death, which was such a sharp left turn in my life. Except for that, nothing else in my life feels 
like a straight line trajectory, like this one thing didn't just happen because of this. When I got on the leftovers, it wasn't just that I tapped Damon Lindelof on the shoulder at a Starbucks. It was tapping him on the shoulder, but I had also been going through the process of the Humanitas New Voices thing. I didn't know if I was going to be selected or not. I had also had some inroads with uh, with HBO because I had taken a general meeting there a year before. So all these different factors all contributed to the day I said, oh, shit. Oh, oh, and by the way, the day before he walked into that Starbucks, I read an article in him in The Hollywood Reporter. And I used to go to the Starbucks every single day for three years and never seen that dude walk in there. I was like Norm from Cheers on there. Hey, Carlito. Every day people knew me. Never saw that dude in there. Right. I read an article on him, let's say on a Tuesday. He wanders in on a Wednesday. And at that point in my life, at that specific moment, I was like, I can't just let this dude walk out of here. This feels a little too surreal for me mm-hmm. that I was just reading about him. He's one of my favorite you know, writers in this game. I got to at least acknowledge him. So I tapped him on the shoulder and acknowledged him. I wouldn't have done that had I not had the confidence of having the the general at HBO a year before where they yeah. were like, hey, bring us stuff. You know, it, it's just a bunch of different factors. So I don't think about that specific moment why I became a writer. More than anything, I think about my uh, my babies. And they're all grown now. But I think about my kids. When I hit those little weird moments, mm. I think about why did my mom and dad sacrifice to come to the States? What can I do to further that along? Yeah, I can't quit because then I'm just regular man and I can't be regular not 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 for the babies and now I think about my beautiful uh, partner in crime sitting behind us over here my wife Leah yes we have a guest in the audience today yeah man because she uh you know she kicks me in the butt when I need it you know what I mean she absolutely is like get up soldier get up so in yeah. her own Texas way yeah she's got that personality yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean I think it's I think uh, as a before I close, I, I think it's nice that you had a moment where it's kind of like an objective person was like, hey, you got talent, you should explore it, you know, kind of speaking to the importance of arts and education and, you know, you, you know, having, it's always the first thing to get cut and it's right. always the first thing to get cut from like a lower income right. educational environment, and, you know, like in your story or mine, you can see how having an access to art can actually lead to a career, a job, you know, like, and even if the, even if the dots don't connect in a straight line, you know, I grew up playing the saxophone because there was funding for us to have a school band in junior high school. I don't know that that exists anymore unless you're like in a specialized school for instruments. Right. Um, but listen, here's the dope thing about writing. Excuse me about writing. You really just need a pencil and a piece of paper. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I am blessed, man, for real. I am blessed. There's a lot of uh, a lot of my dudes, man, who didn't uh, didn't make it. <laughs> yeah. They didn't get this far. And so the fact that a couple of gentlemen, you know, one because it was his profession, um, and his second profession, because like I said, he was a bus driver, but he decided he wanted to become a, you know, a teacher and and also a writer. That gentleman, and then this this other gentleman who passed away, I want to say last year. Steve Cannon passed away, I believe. You know, they saw something and said, hey, man, for no other reason other than we think you have something to say, you should say it. So that that stuck with me. That stuck with me. Yeah. No, that's really, that's really um, awesome that you can, you had those moments, you know, you can kind of 
pinpoint that to help your trajectory but you're right like it's not a straight line but there's these moments that you know for most you know everyone has moments where things yeah. can change that's um, right little angels man little creative angels spirit angels kind of hey nudge you this way nudge you that way yeah um yeah i was yeah god you like went through so much <laughs> i told you man. a very a very efficient give me the mic and sto- watch me mc <laughs> no i was like clean efficient you hit like so many there's so many questions uh that i, I could obviously ask that i guess you know you have shared with people publicly anyways but uh i, I guess i will uh just kind of end with asking you uh you know as someone who tells stories for a living and all the time, and I've heard you tell stories verbally and, you know, seeing your work visually on screen. Uh, yeah. How do you feel about sh- sharing like a more kind of intimate or vulnerable like thing about yourself? How do I feel? You mean like now? Here, yeah. Like, talking? cause you know, uh, we do get listeners now all over the world. Mm-hmm. That's uh, dope. Congratulations. You know, Spain, Switzerland, oh, nice. UK. Nice. I don't know how. Hey, man. It's you, a beautiful thing. You, People like to share stories, man. Yeah, you put something out in the world and you just never know man, who's going to kind of catch onto it. Uh, and obviously this one will be pretty big in uh, New York, I'm sure. Knock on wood. BX stand up. <laughs> so you're asking me to share another one or you're saying no, how do I saying, feel about it? Just how do you feel now? Like, you know, this is going to go to the world. Oh, oh, I mean, you know, look, man, real talk. At one point in prison, kind of getting out of prison, I was like, you know what, man? I think I want to be a high school English teacher. Mm. Right. I, I, you know, something about what reading has done for me. Yeah. Far back as I can remember, that's like the first thing my mother taught me was first how to write my name and then how to read. Right. And she didn't uh, she didn't read English. It was all Spanish. Her English was chopped up. So she was teaching me how to read Spanish. So knock on wood through her and then a little bit of osmosis. I'm bilingual. Right. Fluent in both. Probably couldn't write a script in Spanish. I mean, I could write it and the words would come out. But I don't think that I could have the same flow and energy as I do in English. Yeah. But I can get the point across. Um, More important, though, is that. You know, reading from the beginning has been like a driving force for me. Yeah. I just love to read and I wanted to pass that along, right? I wanted to become a teacher. Like I wanted to instill in young people um, just just the love that I feel for immersing yourself in a story and thereby sharing your own, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just getting a little bit more of a command of language that you can turn a phrase and have have me break down in tears or crack up with laughter. Um, but unfortunately, uh, you know, teachers don't make much. Sure. You yeah. know? And I thought about, you know, okay, well, what about TV writing? This is while I'm still in prison. Man, I could do that. This is before Sopranos, before any of that. NYPD Blue was like the, the blue ribbon. Yeah. Man, I could do that. There's something there. Like, I know I can do that. In fact, the first kind of like rough pilot that I wrote treatment thingy was, uh, was, uh, it was Oz before Oz. Hmm. It was Oz before Oz. And, and, um, you know, so, so, so none of that stuff, none of the early stuff that I was writing really started to take shape until I started infusing my own emotion, even though the circumstance might not be the same. If I'm writing, I'm not a woman, let's say. So if I would write a, a woman, like a woman's point of view, um, 
I would always try to tap into what's the universal. So in a way, I've been kind of sharing my story, mm. at least my emotions right, for right. a long time. So I don't mind, man. I got nothing to hide. You know what I mean? I just, <laughs> I'm like, whatever, man. Let's, you know, why be all extra hard and tough? You know, that, yeah. that's, that wasn't working. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, thanks so much for being on here. Thanks for uh, having me, brother. Everyone, this is the legendary editor of The Source. <laughs> Uh, shout out to Starbucks if you want to sponsor this episode. Just give me a call and we can make that happen. <laughs> uh, okay, well, thanks so much and uh, we'll talk soon. Bye. Thank you, brother. Hey, if you'd like to know when our next new episode comes in, it's easy. You can subscribe for best story I never told. That's right, on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or Stitcher.